topical, important, and just essential. Today we discuss the gender unicorn. What is gender in the biggest context and what does it really mean? How do we expand our understanding of sex, gender, gender expression, and sexual preference? What does transgender mean and what are the biggest hurdles a transgender person faces? How can we support each other in our journeys to understanding ourselves outside of the boxes society creates? We are very pleased to welcome Caleb Lachenicht into the studio. Caleb is a transgender person who has been exploring his true self and engaging with his identity actively for 14 years in terms of his gender. Caleb was born female and has been on testosterone for the past four years. He is learning how privileged he is to have been socialized as a female through his formative years and now being able to explore his true self, learning to be a man in the last few years. Caleb is generous in sharing his experiences. Welcome, Caleb. Thank you for having me. It is always a pleasure to do things with you. We walk along interesting, diverse road <laughs> together. Okay, so just really to start with, I think one of the things that as society people are struggling with is just understanding sort of almost the proliferation of language. So, you know, we've got parents saying to us, what does the word pansexual mean? And when we go and we open a new social media account, there's 76 different uh, gender expressions, <laughs> gender yeah. expressions to choose from, etc. Who are you? Exactly. So I think that the thing for me is first to to break down the big categories, sort of identity, expression, orientation, etc. And then within that context, what which I think you explained so nicely, what is the continuum across which gender occurs? Cool. So I think probably the, the the first place to start is that without the vocab to explain or describe yourself or or sort of make sense of yourself, it's very difficult to do that. So one of the the first things, one of the first realizations that I made when I started this journey was I don't have the words to describe who I am that makes sense in my own mind. Um, and so there was sort of the first part of my journey was just finding the vocab. Um, and there were a few words that that really applied to me that I, well I thought that applied to me initially uh, growing up and being female I thought the word tomboy made a lot of sense mm -hmm. and that was uh, just an expectation from family and you know that the Kaylee's a tomboy and she'll grow out of it and and don't worry everything will be normal um, and the word tomboy applied to me for a very long period of time and that was what I used to describe myself especially in places like school and public spaces and, and bathrooms as like a nine ten year old and then the sort of transition into I don't know if tomboy is enough um, going to school and being at an all girls school and realizing that yeah I'm a tomboy and but I'm definitely different to the other girls who think that they're tomboys um, and, and that realization hadn't happened for a very long time. I mean, at school, I didn't really engage with gender in any way. I think the easier engagement is is the sexuality engagement, where as a teenager, you kind of are forced into a sexuality engagement earlier rather than gender because it's in your face and it's emotions and it's hormones and, and things are, are quite hectic. Um, but I started realizing that I probably wasn't straight in the traditional sort of term. Um, and so that word started applying to me the word gay started applying to me and, and again just the vocab I was female but I never ever identified as lesbian it was just a word that didn't make sense in my mind and it didn't sort of fit my, my personal feeling um, and so I came out as, as gay um, when I was around 24 
and that fit for a very long period of time. That vocab made sense to me, and it was just words that I could easily describe myself. I'm I'm a more masculine female who identifies sexually as lesbian or, or gay. And then there, there came a point where that also just wasn't enough. It wasn't the word that actually made sense, and it didn't fit with me. Mm. Um, and I started doing quite a lot of exploring and a lot of YouTube watching and just sort of personal development sort of thought process stuff. Um, and I happened upon a podcast where a young kid, he must have been about 10 or 10 or 11, he's hes quite a prolific uh, YouTuber now, uh, was speaking about the fact that he identified himself as a non-binary person. And I'll never forget the moment that I heard that word. It was like a, a stone dropping in my in my heart. It was this, I was driving and I was listening to this podcast and I had to stop on the side of the road and I had to just let it sink in. And, and it, it was this understanding that that's, where I am, that's what I am. I am non-binary, I am neither male nor female, but I am also both male and female. And that realization, I think in the bigger scheme of things has been the most important realization in my life, but at the same time, the most difficult at the time. From there, it sort of progressed in conversation with psychology and some friends and some people who are really supportive to just accepting the term transgender. Mm -hmm. And I think if I'd had that term from the age of six or seven, the acceptance is a lot easier once you have a word. And it sounds so silly because we don't, we don't want to put words to people. But if you don't have a way to express yourself, you can't explain to other people what you feel and how, how you feel about who you are. Mm. Um, and it wasn't so much that I hadn't been exposed to the word. It was just a word that had never meant anything to me in the way that I felt. So, so my idea of this transgender person was that flamboyant gay pride like rainbow underwear kind of idea and that that also wasn't me mm. but the more i engaged with the word and the and the the vocab and speaking to other people about what this might mean it really just came to mean a word that explains my journey and the journey was i am i'm not fixed in gender my gender is is pretty fluid definitely more in the masculine masculine side of of gender if we're going to speak about sides but really it's a continuum and it's just one Gender isn't set or specific. Mm -hmm. It's it's set or specific for some people, and it's very non-specific for other people. And then it's specific for me on some days, and then very generalist on other days. Mm. Um, and so once once the vocab's there, and and I think this is probably where it comes down to in kids is if we can just give kids the vocab, not just for gender, but for everything. These are the things that exist, and these are the ways in which you can express yourself. <laughs> Suddenly you have a way to explain to yourself who you are and, and how you fit. Because if you try and fit me into male or female, mm -hmm. that dysphoria is very uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And I can't find a comfortable space. But now, with the word transgender, it just it fits. And that's just, that's who I am. And it's now, it used to be the biggest thing about me and the most important thing and the thing I'd wake up thinking about all the time because it was a struggle and a discomfort all the time. But now it's just the least exciting thing about me. <laughs> it's just something that is. Um, so, so I think the the starting point for all of these conversations is the vocab, mm -hmm. is to give people the vocabulary to express who they are. So I think that for me, the the thing that you say that is sort of most, I suppose, enlightening is the right word because it casts light on things, is the fact that there's not an either or but a both end, yeah. and that that sort of that binary idea of things, even transitioning from, as we were discussing earlier, transitioning from female to male, what kind of male? Because yeah. you know, there's even like where do you end? Correct. Yeah. Now the the thing that people really struggle with is 
because of the fluidity or the non-binary nature, the both and component, is that they don't understand the difference or the delineation between identity, orientation, expression, etc. Can you just break those down, you know, in, in the in the simplest way so that people just have a basic vocabulary to assist them with talking about this. So I like to use, um, there's a really nice visual called the gender unicorn, which is where, where a lot of the conversation sort of starts. Um, and that visual shows four different parameters and those four parameters encompass everything about a human being. Mm-hmm. Um, starting off with the most basic, as you pop out of the womb, what are the organs that you're born with? And that defines your, your sex. And probably more specifically, we should be looking at chromosomes. So we, we shouldn't be saying just the, the organs you're born with, but the chromosomes that represent your, your entire makeup. Those chromosomes define your sex. Um, and so there are, again, in there, we think of it as male or female, but there are also multiple different variations in between in terms of genetic anomalies and, and not even anomalies, just genetic variation. And people are, are different. Um, so the idea of male, female, or intersex being a really important delineation. So, so that's what the essentially the easiest way for people to understand is the genitals with which you are born. Sure. Um, and I think we'll, we'll get into it probably a bit later. But the genitals with which you are born don't make you male or female. They're just it's the same as uh, being bald doesn't make you old or young. Or uh, I don't know, having calluses on your hand doesn't make you a hard worker. It's a it's about that's what you were born with. The next sort of layer up is your gender, and that is how you experience yourself and how you see yourself. And that can be connected to the sex, and it can be disconnected from sex. And sometimes it can be more connected and less connected. And I think if, as, as long as you start to see it as a continuum, that there isn't a, a this or a that, there's a this, that, and everything in between, you suddenly realize that gender, I mean, if you think about your daily life, you are a gender and you know what your gender is but in multiple different situations you can adapt your gender to be more or less masculine or feminine mm. and that is the next layer of of expression and that is how you express your gender so for me i wake up in the morning i see myself as not female definitely closer to male not all the way male mm. and sort of somewhere in the middle of 75 percent towards male mm. um you maybe wake up in the morning, you know, you're 100% male. These are the things that make you who you are. That doesn't change how you express your gender. Mm-hmm. So you can be gender or sex male, gender male, and express yourself very feminine. Mm-hmm. And exactly the other, the other way with, with females or somewhere in between or one day very masculine and the other day very feminine. So we've got that sex idea, the gender idea, how you wake up in the morning, the expression, what clothes you put on to express who you are that morning. And then the last and, and least related to gender but always gets lumped in with gender is sexuality. Mm. And that is who, who you go to bed with. Um, and so that idea is also very fluid. There isn't gay or straight. There is sort of heterosexual, homosexual, and everything in between. Um, and then that sort of brings up the next question, what about if a straight person is dating a transgender person, does that change their sexuality? But I think what's really important is is it's it's less about boxing it and more about unboxing it mm-hmm. and just giving yourselves a a, a spectrum. Mm. 
that and answers I'm, the question. I'm, I mean, the last thing that answers it perfectly, and I'm always curious about why people are curious about who people go to bed with, right. because, you know, we don't run around talking about that, <laughs> or, you know. I mean, it's just the, the strangest thing, and that seems to be the focus of everything, yeah. which is such a small part of a yeah. person, a very important part, but a very small part of someone's identity, yeah. but it seems to be what people fear because of the... All the stigma know. attached, generally. The stigma is probably yeah. the, the thing. But it's the same question. I mean, the idea of, of what's what's in your pants doesn't matter to anyone but you. 100%. But it is something that comes up every time you speak about a, dra- a transgender person. Mm. It's like, well, what genitals do you have? Mm. And, I mean, as, as open as I am to discuss it, because I think the more education there is, the easier it is. But I would never ask you if your genitals are pierced. So mm. how can you... <laughs> like, it's it's that sort of boundary of... Does it really matter? That is what's in your pants. Is that what makes you male or female? Or is it what's in your brain or how you see yourself or how you express yourself or who you sleep with? It, it probably is just a, a much bigger mm. idea than just those simple things. Yeah, and I think that, you know, for me, that's an important thing because I remember when I did sort of epistemology and philosophy and the theory of knowledge, how do we know stuff? And you ask someone to explain what a dog is that's never seen a dog at box, but if it doesn't bark, is it not, is a, it dog, not a dog, you know, and it's got four legs, well, so does a horse. And, you know, and as you unravel it, it's a conceptual thing. And what, you, what you're saying is it becomes identity. Mm. And I think the, the thing with identity is it, it's, a, it's a deeply personal mm. thing. And it's something that we're asking people to engage with you as a person mm. as opposed to a label. Mm. Yeah, I mean, you're not engaging with somebody. You don't engage with each other as men or women or as gay or straight people you engage with people as humans mm. but as soon as something is a little bit different to the general mm. it's much easier to pick up on the difference than on the similarity so i think um luke and i work a lot in the school space as do you and we see a lot of fear mm. around children who um will go to the teacher or maybe write an essay and and speak about um changing or, or not identifying with if they're a girl a girl or boy a boy some schools are doing it really really well so they 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 um are open to engaging with people and finding out more and supporting the young person on their journey some parents are incredibly fearful they don't want their children to be different yet other parents think that if your child is is with a child who's different they're going to catch it yeah it's how, how do we support young people in this give them the vocab and i think Mm. you know that was so important that you raised earlier is by talking about it we give each other the vocab Mm. i I worry so that i don't have the vocab so just understanding it how do we sensitize people um in addition to having conversations so i always think back to the first time i told my mom that i was transgender and she she also didn't have that vocab to help me with because it wasn't something that she had sort of got into her mind but the moment i gave her the vocab she looked at me and she said i could have helped you so much better if i'd known this word if i'd known this idea um and i think it's really just about starting the conversation but it's also about making it comfortable to start the conversation and it's it's one of the the sort of bigger ideas i don't know if you've there's a a really cool transgender speaker i'm trying to think what her name is now uh she has now transitioned into he so he is his name is io tillett right and when previously um they went and did a like a really big photo expose of of they asked people who didn't identify as fully straight or gay or fully male or female to have their photo taken and they took a whole lot of these like very close-up intimate portraits of these people and had them printed on 
like massive A1 posters and put them all up in, in a giant hallway. And you walk through this hallway and you realize that everyone doesn't know what's going on. Mm, <laughs> like true. it's not it's not like you have it together and you know what's going on. Um, and the, the, the big picture from there is it's really difficult to hate someone when you're looking mm. at them in the eye. Mm. And it's really difficult to be afraid of somebody who wins you over because they're they're a nice person or they mm. speak to you with integrity and honesty and and just openness and vulnerability so i think from from that perspective we have to be open to being vulnerable with each other mm. we have to be open to to saying to each other i also don't really know and this conversation might challenge my innate beliefs about myself mm. and that's going to be hard mm. but that's also okay mm. because at the end of it i'm going to walk away and i'm going to have a better understanding of who i am but i'm also going to understand better who you are and how i can better relate to you and make it safe for you to be you the more confined we try to make it the the harder it is to engage in those differences and i think the that's really the key is just starting conversations openly and vulnerably and saying to the parents we don't have a clue how to do this but we're going to do everything we can to support however we can mm. and it comes i mean it's the same thing as a child who reports abuse it's the same <coughs> thing as a child who has cancer mm. those things are hard to speak about but if we don't speak about it we don't help anybody integrate it into their lives, make sense of it, understand it, do anything with it. And so it just needs to be, it needs to become one of those things we just talk about. Yeah. You can speak about cancer. You're not going to get it. No, you're not going to get yeah. it. Yeah. We can speak about being transgender and being gay and child abuse and masculinity and femininity. And we can speak about those things without them changing who you are. I think ultimately it's the fear. Yeah. So parents are... It's terror, yeah. absolute terror. And to the brave educators who do reach out and, and who encourage the conversations with both their learners and their parents, I think we, Luke and I, we, we really salute yeah. those schools because um, they are taking the conversation mm. forward. Those discussions are hard to start. They're really they difficult. Are, but, but all important conversations yeah. are hard, aren't they? Definitely. <laughs> and Caleb, Definitely. In, in terms of um, challenges around traditional structures that we have in place, like toilets, for example, how how do we evolve? We've seen in a lot. I know um, the apartheid museums done it well in that they've got um, unisex toilets. Um, for some people, they they can't even get their head around it. You know, it's a toilet. Um, so, how what are the structures that we currently have in place that that need to evolve? And they're not going to happen overnight. Mm. But but just some of those things that maybe we've thought of toilets, but that that we haven't maybe thought of. I think a lot of society is built around gender. So every every decision that I had to make from the age of six really was based on gender. When I walk into a shop, which department am I going to in terms of clothing? Um, if if I need to go to the bathroom, which bathroom do I go to just to empty my bladder? Like it's not it's not something that's difficult. Um, you line up at school, you line up in boys and girls. Mm. Uh, school uniform, you wear. A uniform that is specific to your sex mm. but not necessarily specific to your gender um, and I think I, I don't think that there's a coverall answer that fixes everything I think that there's getting buy-in from from the kids and asking the kids what they need and what they want is probably a good starting point although obviously there are some boundaries there that you have sure. to kind of hold on um, but there has to be some reasonable answer for everything we've only been this gender fixated for a short period of time mm. in our entire existence, um, we can quite easily return back. I mean, in your homes, mm. do you have gender-specific bathrooms? No. Everyone can use the same bathroom. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Um, the counter argument to that is in a school you have to protect the smallest mm -hmm. and the biggest child and the most masculine and the most feminine child and so there has to be space for everyone. Um, my easy argument for the bathroom is just have three options. Sure. Have a boys bathroom, a girls bathroom and a, anyone can attend this bathroom bathroom. With the understanding that, that obviously there's a, a social contract that goes with the bathroom. Mm -hmm. And there's a safety contract that goes with that bathroom. So I'll give you an example. Before I started testosterone, I had already started ident identifying as not female. And I'd go to the gym, and the place for me to change was the female bathrooms. I was female in, in every way except for in my brain. And that social contract, I felt like I violated simply by walking into that bathroom because if they knew that my brain was male would those women be as comfortable to change in that space as they were? And as I started the testosterone and became more and more masculine, that space was definitely not a safe space for them mm. if I entered that bathroom. And not because I was going to do anything inappropriate, but because that social contract of people the same as me was different. I didn't feel safe to go into the men's bathroom. There was It was just not a socially safe situation for me because I wasn't masculine enough to to be safe in that space. And so there has to be another option, and that other option has to be accessible to anyone who needs to use it or wants to use it. Uh, recently, in the last month, I've started using men's changing rooms as my primary. Up until then, completely, if I couldn't change at the gym, I just wouldn't gym, mm. if there wasn't a safe space to be in. Mm. So, I mean, the bathrooms is, is, is a contentious <coughs> one because it always comes up with the parents, mm. and it costs money to change things. And there's always a, but what if your son now is in the bathroom with my daughter. And I think it probably comes down to more than just who's using the bathroom. We need to think about a lot how we expect men to behave in closed spaces. It, a man and a girl should be able to use the same bathroom safely. And if that's not, if that's not possible, the problem's not the bathroom. Mm. Mm. That is so true. Yeah. Mm. That really is so true. Okay, so as, as we wrap up, I, w I just want to pose a couple of quite practical cool. things because these are the kind of questions I get. So we'll start with a 10-year-old at a school who has uh, born with a female genitalia, identifies now as a male, and now wants to change their pronouns. The teacher is, has been asked to change the pronouns and obviously change the dress code. So what guidance would you have for a school, this is a prepubertal child, mm. what guidance would you have for the school to address the children, the parents, and the staff? So I think probably starting with the staff as your, as your first port of call because they're going to be the ambassadors for all decisions that are made in that space, and kids will follow what the teacher makes acceptable in a space. Um, so I'd start with the staff and have a really good conversation um, and maybe bring someone in who can give them that personal insight because it's quite difficult to understand unless you've physically work through those thought processes. Um, then I think probably starting with the parents and just explaining to the parents, if you've had that vocab start and you've had that introduction and you've, you've, you've done it without having the person there who now creates the challenge, uh, they're already sensitized to it and they're aware that there's already some stuff happening in the background that, okay, maybe we need to be a bit more flexible about things. Kids are easy. Kids mm. accept what you put in front of them, they are completely happy with. And um, we learn from them. I think as adults, to, yeah. we often need to take the children's lead because yeah. it's just my mate. They don't care. It's not male, female. That, that's my mate. Yeah, and they don't care. whatever bathroom they go to or however they choose to dress, yeah. they're still my mate. I, I mean, if I just think about the first time we exposed my, my partner's daughter to the idea of transgender, she was just like, okay. 
no, that makes sense. You do look more like a boy, and you, I think you'll be more comfortable as a boy. So, like, yeah. kids really have zero interest in it. So, they take the lead from the adults in their spaces, and if we're open about it and accepting of it and supportive of it, mm. absolutely, absolutely easy to manage. Then there just has to be some, some safety in terms of what have what provision have we made for this child in terms of changing changing pronouns mm. and how do we. And there's going to be a period of transition for pronoun change and that mm. it has to be flexible. Sometimes people are going to get it wrong and we just have to try our best to get it right as often as possible. Where can this child go to the bathroom? Have the discussion with the boys and the girls. It, would it be okay if this child uses the bathroom with you? Do you have any problems with it? Get a social contract with all the kids and everyone's in the same, on the same page. If you're afraid to have the conversation, though, it's going to be uncomfortable all the mm. time. And then the final one for me is one you and I have discussed at, at quite great length. The idea that when a adolescent now or a pubescent wants to go and consult with doctors and endocrinologists and psychiatrists and etc. because they want to transition and decisions, big decisions are made, for example, uh, blockers. And the parents are concerned because there is a level at which there, there may be permanent changes associated with that and the parents need to consent to certain things. And the, the backlash that if they ask too many questions, that they are seen as anti-gay or anti-trans. Or and where what they're doing is they are looking at the best interest of their children. They become afraid to ask questions because they are then labeled as some kind of bigot, but they're just trying to be a good parent. It's such a difficult space because nine times out of, well, 99 times out of 10, parents are not there to harm their kids parents want the best for their kids mm. and they also want the the best long term for their kids so it's very difficult for a, a parent to imagine a child transitioning socially and then physically and then and in every way um fitting in in society and how are they going to find a job and how are they going to be able to do all the things that they need, they need to do and i i understand that that is really challenging mm. I, it it makes 100 percent sense i think what has to happen is it, it can't just be about therapy for the child and it can't just be about the transition for the child if i think about my mom as the most open and loving human being on the face of the planet my transition was a loss for her it, she lost her oldest daughter and that was it was difficult she's gained a son and she's 100 percent on board with it but it, there was definitely a period of of difficulty and discomfort and we have to talk about that and it's it's okay for that discussion to happen but the transition is not for the child alone it's for the entire family and I think as as long as we stop the parents from asking the questions, we make it more difficult for the child to fit in socially and to understand and explain how they are. It's difficult also for a 16-year-old to explain how they are because I don't think they even know how they are. Mm, sure. um, but they have to have the room to express how they are. Mm. And the parents also have to have that room. And as, as healthcare providers and as psychologists and psychiatrists and whoever else is involved in the process, we have to be open to the idea that they're going to have questions. Um, I think one way that could help is to expose those parents to adults who have transitioned, who are in the space and who can give them some some hope and some really good feedback around it gets better. It's, it's difficult now and things are, are challenging now, but it gets better. Kids know, and it's going to sound ridiculous, kids know their gender from three or four. They mm. know who they are and what they are. Um, and if they decide to transition there are some ways that we can sort of pause the, the, the puberty of their native body so that there's some more time to think. And those things may or may not be permanent. 
Um, but I think buying time for parents is probably a, a good start and starting the conversation. When the kid tells you when they're four years old, I'm not a girl or I'm not a boy, or I don't know, I don't feel right, start the conversation. Mm-hmm. And, and have that conversation from when they're four until when they're 16, and then it's a, it's a much easier conversation to have. But uh, yeah, there's not an easy answer for it. Um, we have to be flexible in, in all of our domains to help those parents and those kids. So as you speak, I mean, my final thought is, you know, we talk about children's developmental stages and they have various sort of tasks to complete as they as they develop. And we grow up with our children, essentially, and we develop with our children. So we talk a lot about gender dysphoria. And I mean, I would just like you to conclude with what that is and how you overcame the dysphoria or continue to struggle with the dysphoria. But there's almost a sense where the parents become dysphoric as well. And we need to recognize that that is not because they're anti anything, but it's because they're finding their way as well. And they're human. Any big change is hard. Any, I, I wanted the transition and I fought in every direction to start the transition and the change of the transition was still difficult mm-hmm. because change for humans is difficult. You want things status quo, you want things to work the way that they work. Um, to understand gender dysphoria, and I think parents will probably understand if they're going through it, gender dysphoria is just the discomfort that this external who I am doesn't fit with my internal who I am. Um, if I can, if I can say from my own personal experience, and I can only speak from my experience, the moment that I came out, the gender dysphoria decreased dramatically. So the moment that I could express how I was feeling, and the difficulties that I was having with the battle between my body and my brain, that's when my gender dysphoria decreased. Then I started the, the testosterone, and it it sort of dipped incredibly. Months before um, having surgery to my chest, it was at its highest again, and then post-surgery completely disappeared. Mm. So it, it really depends on, I guess, what the dysphoria is around. Mm. But, but parents will have that same dysphoria because they've had their child for 15, 16 years as their little girl or their little boy. And it's going to take, it, they can't just turn it on and off. Mm. No one can. It's a process. It's a, it's a slow process. Because they have an internalized model of what their children yeah. are, which is gendered. Since before the child had consciousness, Correct. that child was conceived mm. mind, mind and body and soul. And like it's, yeah, it's more complicated than just you have to get on board. Mm. Because a parent can be 100% on board and still uncomfortable. Yeah, absolutely. Because you talk about the discomfort between the internal and external. The parents generally want the best for their yeah. children. And that's also, there's an internalized object for the parent that also has to change yeah. in that dysphoric. Karen, some last words from you. I just want to thank you, Caleb. I, th- I want to thank you for your, your wisdom and your insights, your authenticity and your generosity. Because... Um, I have learned so much this morning and I hope that we can continue to have the conversation because I do agree with you. The more we we talk about it, the more we can empower young people, both those who choose something different to what they've been born with and the others for accepting their friends for what they've chosen. So thank you so very, very much. Now, it's always an honor, uh, Caleb, and if anybody wants to uh, contact Caleb, you can do it through our Facebook page, and Karen will pass the details on. Uh, as you can hear, Caleb is an accomplished public speaker, and uh, yeah, just an asset to have in the space. So thank you very much, and uh, we look forward to chatting with you again.